doing a, I did a book release called Kill the Noise. So it's going to be in the back. You can buy it wherever bar, uh, books are bought, Barnes & Nobles, Target, Walmart, uh, Amazon. But we have them here, and I'm here tonight. So I wrote it because it's a discipleship tool, and I want to teach people how to kill the noise so they can live the life that they are created for. Um, recently, a couple weeks ago, uh, on the Bible app, you know the app on the app store that says Holy Bible, it's brown? If you go there and you type in my name and kill the noise, there'll be a seven-day devotion that's called Kill the Noise that's separate from the book. And that will plug you in. It's a seven-day reading, and there's a new, uh, there's going to be continuous devotions that will be popping up through the Bible app. It's in English and in Spanish as of right now. With that said, the Kill the Noise book, it's a faith builder. It doesn't matter where you're at in your Christian walk. If you're at ground zero, if you're not a Christian, if you've been a Christian a long time, this is going to take you, it's not my biography, but it's going to take you through different stories of my life with Bible teaching pasted to the stories so it could show you the real life application and where it shows it in scripture. So when people are posting pictures online of people that have got the book, it literally looks like a Bible in a sense. They're outlining stuff, underlining it, writing things next to them. It's literally a book that will push your faith in a, refresh it, rejuvenate it, and just push it so you could um, live that life why God, God has you here on planet Earth. So I'm going to teach tonight on my, one of my uh, I think he's my favorite person. John the Baptist. I, I, he's my favorite person in the Bible, besides Jesus, obviously. Um, because John the Baptist, he had that radical call. And he, he just went out and did it, and he was unorthodox. And God used him for a very powerful ministry. And it was very short-lived, but a very powerful uh, work in, of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get into it. So... Let me just uh, go for it. I'm going to teach out of uh, Matthew chapter 3, but I want to read a couple things just to kind of paint a picture of, of John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist's story, it's in all four Gospels. So, God wanted us to know this story. It's in all four. It's at the beginning. Uh, God has been silent for 400 years since the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, and the religious system was broke and somewhat corrupt when you study it. John is Jesus' cousin, and he was the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. He was a forerunner for the King Jesus, the Messiah. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was in tune with God, and he knew the call that God put on his life. Now, I would like to add this. We're all not going to be John the Baptists. We're all not going to be certain people in the Bible. But I can tell you this. We're all unique. There's only one of us. There's only ever going to be one of us. And we all have a unique call here on planet Earth. There's only one of us. And he has designed you for a specific purpose. He didn't fit into the mold of the church or become institutionalized by church traditions. Now, I was sitting with the director of the Billy Graham Association a while ago. And I was telling him, man, I'm so tired of the church, man. We need to go out and reach people. We need to go reach them so we can bring them in to get disciple. That's the Great Commission. Go out, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and, bring, and teach them to obey my commandments. And I said, I'm so mad at the church. And he said, hey, hey, Ryan, you're not mad at the church. I said, yeah, I am. He says, no, you're mad at the institution of the church. We are the church. I said, yeah, we are the church. 
He's all, it's the institution of the church. So John did not become institutionalized by church or church traditions. Back in the old days before the hippie movement, to have an electric guitar and drums in church, that was satanic from the pit of hell. Did you know that? Church traditions. So you'd all be a bunch of saint worshipers. We got electronic, electric guitars here. Church traditions. So he didn't get caught up in the institution and church traditions. He was a pastor's kid or the son of a priest. He was in line to become a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, the mega church of mega churches. He was in line. He wasn't down for that form of religion. So he left, he left the city and he went to the desert to kill the noise. And I talk about this in my book. Killing the noise in the desert. See, I read the Bible and I literally take it literally. Like, okay, he went out to the desert and he waited for God's call and basically he was killing the noise. And we're going to study a little bit about him. But when I need to hear God's voice and I'm in a dramatic, desperate situation where I need to hear God's voice. You know those times when you're like, God, where are you? You're not answering. What's up? I'll literally go on a fast. I could do a fast for a day. I could do a fast for three days, the seven-day fast. Depending how you fast, you could just get rid of, uh, uh, just eat fruits and vegetables, do the Daniel fast, or you could just get rid of everything and do water, whatever you choose. But I go on a fast and I end up in the desert. And I literally, I go to Joshua Tree. And I go out there and I pray. Once you hit Joshua Tree, the, the campgrounds, the reception ends. You kill the noise automatically. <laughs> noise is gone. Phones don't work. But I take, take my phone in case I want to bring, like, listen to some worship music or something. And I, I flip to airplane mode to make sure it's killed for sure. And I go out there and I walk through the desert. And it's kind of weird at first when you're out there fasting by yourself walking through the desert. But I go and I try to find some high rocks, you know, something where I'm not going to fall and die and kill myself. But I try to get as high as possible. So I'm like six stories in the air or more. But I take a mellow way up and I sit there at the top and I just oversee where I don't see anyone. It's just nothing but open desert. And I sit there. And the noise is killed, the connection, the flesh is killed, the body appetites are dead, the spirit comes alive, and I'm connected to the power from heaven, and I'm talking to God, I'm praying to God, I'm singing songs, I'm worshiping, I'm reading the Bible lap, whatever it is, I'm out there in the desert all day, and God will literally speak to me when I kill the noise. Either he'll speak to me there in the moment when I'm walking back to the car, or something will happen, and he will speak. So here's John the Baptist. He goes to the desert to kill the noise. Why? Because he wants to hear what God has for him. Remember, he was set aside from birth at a very young age. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from a young age. They knew there was something. They said, what is this man going to become? He knew. So he didn't want to get caught up in the distractions, so he left to the desert. He, was, he had a relationship with God through reading the scriptures. Remember, he had the Old Testament, fasting, praying, and he was a Nazarite. And the Nazarites, they took a Nazarite vow. They didn't cut their hair. They didn't touch nothing from the vine. No wine, no grapes, no alcohol. Why? Because there's something about the alcohol. When it hits the system, it turns off the power to the Holy Spirit. It's like a light switch. It just turns it off. It's almost like it clogs the connection to the Wi-Fi or, you know, the God the power from the Holy Spirit, I'll call it the hi-fi, you know? Satan is the lie-fi, the liar that likes to put those lies, those fiery darts in your mind. But you connect to the power and something about 
the Nazarites, they stayed away because they wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, be not uh, 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 drunk with wine, but be, be filled. The original word is intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Baptized and filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So he was a Nazarite, fasting, praying. Nothing to, clear, to, to clog the signal from hearing God's voice. He lived off the land. He was unorthodox. He was radical in his approach in ministry. His message was straight to the point. It was repent, be baptized, and turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. He was bold and on fire for God. Jesus said in John 5, verse 35, it says, John was like a burning and shining lamp. John was killing the noise in the desert, not distracted by the cares of the world or the shiny objects that Satan likes to hook us up with and get us off course. This is also in my book, and the chapter is called Shiny Objects. Satan is the master fisherman. Satan is such a good fisherman, he took one-third of the angels out of heaven that sit in the presence of God, deceived them, lied to them, they got cast down to planet Earth. Now Satan has this massive tackle box with every kind of lure possible to get in front of us to hook us. And all his goal is, if God has called us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that when Jesus got baptized with the Holy Spirit, he was led with the Holy Spirit. It says he was driven by the Holy Spirit. So if Satan can just hook us with these strongholds or these foothills of sin, of pornography, lies, cheating, or just being distracted, caught up in the noise, if he could just get you off course and get you away from the course that the Holy Spirit is leading you, then he wins. And that's the best kind of Christian, is a Christian that goes to church that knows the scriptures. Satan knew the scriptures. It says that the demons know the scriptures and they tremble. But if he could just keep you as a Christian, going to church, and never live that life that you were created for, keeping you off course, getting you entangled up in lures, of all these different kinds of lures, and just pulling you off course, he wins. But we know that Satan, the master fisherman, he's not down with catch and release. He wants to catch you, kill you, and throw you in the hell while there'll be gnashing of teeth. Because he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give life abundantly. So here he is, he's in the desert, he's killing the noise. John was waiting on God for his game plan, his direction, and perfect timing for, his, for this uncommon revival to the common people. He was around 30 years old when he started his public ministry. It's never too late. I started at 33. He was in tune to the Holy Spirit. He was listening to God's voice and seeking his will. In Luke, it says this, Luke 3, verse 2 to 3 says this. At this time, a message from God came to John son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. It came to him clearly because he was killing the noise, not distracted. When John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they have repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. John's message was repent. Jesus' message was repent. Peter's message was repent. And Paul's message is repent. John's ministry was short-lived and a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Now leading up to that, we're gonna go over a few scriptures just showing the life of John the Baptist and what his, what his deal was. Picking up in Matthew chapter three, verse one says, in those days John the Baptist came to the Jordan wilderness and he began preaching. After he got the, the call from God to go, he went from side to side of the Jordan River and began preaching. Now I went to Israel, I went to the spot 
where I've been to Israel 23 times, believe it or not. I have family that were born, in, uh, my, my mom's cousins went there, and they became missionaries there, and then all my cousins were born there. I have tons of cousins. So I've been there. I've seen it totally develop over, I'm 45 years old. I've seen it develop ever since I was like five, seven years old and on. It's amazing now. But we went this time. It just got opened up a couple years ago where John the Baptist would have been baptizing. It was closed off before because of whatever was going on in that area, bombs. I think there's a bunch of bombs out there now. But it's in the middle of the desert, and it's water. And it's actually, they said it's a major highway where people would come to trade from Europe or Asia would come down through this along the river, because if you're in the desert, you want to be by the water, and then they would come from Asia to Africa, so it was a major highway that people would be going and come, coming and going. So when you hear about John the Baptist in the middle of the desert, it was in the middle of the desert, but it was a major highway. So let's just say nowadays, if you were down in downtown LA, you got the 101, the 110, the 60, the 10, the 5, the, they all meet in one area. It's a major pathway for people to travel. So here he is in those days in the desert preaching right here. It says that he was preaching his message is what to repent of your sins, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now let's look at that word repent. When you think about repent, you think about these people outside of concerts. I do at least because I do a lot of ministry at concerts in public places and you have these people outside and they're like repent God hates you he hates LGBT he hates you because you're here you, you know, and they just hate everyone. You know, it's like, so what was John's message? What is repent? Okay, let's talk about it for a minute. Let's reason here like the Bible says. Repent, okay? I used to hate that word, repent. Repent is, basically, it's that time when I was in that hotel room and I decided I was at the end of, I was just the end of myself. And I said, dude, I'm God, I'm done. I'm tired of the shiny objects. I'm tired of the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. I'm tired of bowing down like a slave to the body appetites. I'm done. I'm empty. The world said I would be filled just like cotton candy. You look at cotton candy. You have, I love the pink cotton candy. And you look at it, you buy it, and you take a big bite because you're like, man, that's going to fulfill me. And you eat it. And what happens? It turns to pebbles instantly. So you take another big bite, and, you, and all of a sudden it turns to pebbles. You take another big bite, and next thing you know, you're sick, physically sick from all the sugar. And that's what sin is. It's like cotton candy. It looks so good, so pleasing. And you eat it and eat it. And next thing you know, you're spiritually sick and literally physically sick. But we know the wages of sin lead to death. It wasn't until that point when I said, that's it, God. I'm done. I repent. Repent basically means to change the direction to what you're going. He says, repent and turn to God. So if I'm driving a truck or a car, and I know if I'm going to go off the cliff and die because the wages of the sins lead to death, then what I'm going to do is, am I going to keep going off that cliff? No. What I have to do is I have to literally change the direction I'm going. I need to flip a U-turn. Repenting is flip a U-turn. It's kill the noise. It's literally deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Flip a U-turn, confess your sins, and turn to God. Now, was John the Baptist going, repent, you're all going to hell, God hates you. You know what he was probably saying? Hey, and I'm going to just be John the Baptist right now. Hey, if you're watching porn, stop watching porn. Hey, if you don't love God, God loves you. Go to God. If you're broken, come to God. He wants to heal you. Hey, if you feel empty, God wants to fill you. Stop lying. lying. Stop having adultery. Stop whatever your secret sins are. Remember, you could be a murderer or a white liar. Whatever it is, sin is sin. All he's saying is, flip a U-turn. 
that's it, and turn to God and, and repent and be baptized. Repentance and being and baptized is just showing that you repented of your sins. It's fruits of repentance. So here he is, the message of repentance. Confess, turn to God. God loves you and be baptized. And then he says this, the, then it says this, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he was a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Now back in those days, in, uh, in those old days, old, old days, when there was kings, what would happen is when the king would come to town, they would have to make the crooked path straight. So let's just use an example going to L.A. L.A.'s that way, right? So if you're going to go down to L.A., um, there's hills, there's mountains, there's, there's you know, windy roads. If we you know, lived back in those days, there'd be crooked paths. What they'd want to do is the king would roll with his entourage, right? They got their armies, legions of armies and cooks, and you know, they had concubines, all kinds of crazy stuff back then. So they would go into town, and what they would do is they're going to make it a straight path to get to L.A., so the king, they can get there, they don't get hijacked by some robbers or in war or whatever. So they're going to widen the roads, they're going to fill in the potholes. If it's a crooked path, they're going to make it straight and they're going to level the hill. They're going to make it for the king to get there quickly, right? First class. So what they're saying about John the Baptist is he was a straight shot to God. When you would look at his life, the way he would act, the way he would talk, the things he was watching, just him cruising around, just being filled with the Holy Spirit and living life. When you would see his life, his life was a straight path to Jesus. Now, this is the question. Are we making this uh, crooked path straight or the straight path crooked? Now, this is heavy, okay? Hey, I'm just a messenger here, okay? Don't hate on me. Look, I'm about grace and truth, right? The truth of the gospel, heaven, hell, grace and truth. That's, that's what we believe, grace and truth. And this is the freedom of the gospel. This is what, like, changes things in our life. It brings freedom. Now, when you look at our lives, if we all do inventory, and I'm no saint, by the way, okay? So don't look at me like I'm, like, super saint over here. I got my own issues I'm trying to work out, too. The thing is, when you look at our lives, are we a straight path to God, or are we making the crooked path straight? Are we putting potholes in front of people and tripping them up? By the things that we're watching, the things that we're agreeing with on our phone, watching funny videos or cussing or watching dirty videos, or are people like having to look at this like crooked path to try, like, is he a Christian? Or like, he says he's a Christian, but like, I don't see anything. He acts just like me. And that's a very convicting thing. And the only way we can change is if we repent of our sins and turn to God, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and let the Spirit arise in us. And let the job of the Holy Spirit start to purge and destroy everything that's unholy. And he'll start making you a new creation of Christ. One day after another. All the old things will pass away. And all things will become brand new. It's a fact. So then he says this about John the Baptist. Verse 4. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and honey. Okay. So either he had mad style, because he had like this belt, hanging belt thing, with this like cool fur, or he just had some like camel hair looking all busted up, with some like janky leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey. So he either looked, I think he looked like a caveman personally. Now remember, the Nazarites, they didn't cut their hair. Jews, Jewish people, curly hair. 
I went to the location, super windy, super dusty, curly hair, dreadlocks. John, uh, uh, Samson, he had seven locks, right? Seven locks, locks, dreadlocks. <laughs> Nazarite, he was a Nazarite, but he drank. He was a bad boy. All right, okay, so there we go. So that's John the Baptist. Okay, so let's just narrow it down. What was up with this guy? He was just, he was a simple guy. He just wasn't into material things. Now, there's nothing wrong with material things, like making money and being successful and all that. That's, that's a good thing. I, always, I, I run a, I, I have the nonprofit who serves, but I run a footwear and apparel business. I do for footwear and apparel for companies. So there's nothing wrong with, with doing uh, being productive and being creative and, and, and entrepreneur and, and, and doing stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? But this man, John the Baptist, it's just all about the balance, right? Because God entrusts you with stuff. I mean, the more money you make, the more you're going to, you got to deal with God. You know what I mean? He's entrusted you with this stuff. And it's how you use it. So I don't want to be coming in here going, oh, man, you know, you just got to go live in the desert and look like a caveman. It's not what I'm saying. A lot of people that make funds fund ministries to do things. You know what I mean? It's an awesome thing. And they do all kinds of cool stuff. I got friends that do all kinds of ministry stuff. So just to be clear, John the Baptist's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and honey. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And he went, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So all these people are coming out to see this guy, crazy looking guy in the desert. And he's preaching the gospel and he's bringing the good news. The gospel is the good news. And um, they're repenting of their sins and they're confessing their sins and they realize they're dirty sinners, right? And he baptizes them to prove, to show the outward appearance of baptism. There was a revival happening in Israel. There was a spiritual awakening, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. He said, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Ow. This guy was like ruthless with these religious people. These are the farmers that Jesus and God put in place to take care of the nation of Israel. When I say the farmers, when it refers to farmers, these were the spiritual leaders, the pastors and, and, and religious teachers that were supposed to take care of the church. And John the Baptist straight calls them out. Dude, these guys are probably like, who's this caveman calling us out? They rolled up and they're like, you know, Louis Vuitton, like, what's up? We're from the city, dog, what's up? You know, we're city boys, what's up with you, caveman? Telling me. Jesus had a few words about these guys. He said, you, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, you hypocrites. He even called them, you fools. They were like, what? Corrupt. They, they, were, they were making money off the church. They, they basically wrote the mission, which is 5,000 um, translations of the scripture, like if God's word doesn't speak for itself. And they couldn't even keep up there. They were liars. Jesus even called them whitewashed tombs. When you go to Israel, you'll be driving, you'll see like this round circle, like you know, you see in the Bible movies, a round circle. And it's a tomb and it's all white on the outside. But inside is dead bones, it's dead people. So what Jesus was calling these guys, he's like, You fools, you're corrupt. He's like, You guys are whitewashed tombs. You look all nice on the outside with your white outfits, but you're dead men inside. You're rotten and dead and corrupt. So John the Baptist calls these guys out immediately. 
And then he says, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? And then he says this, prove it by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That's a message for us. How do we, how do we prove that we, we love God and we're following him or living that life that he's created for us? We prove it by the way we live, that we repented. We prove by turning, flipping a U-turn, killing a noise, and going to God. And we can come boldly through the throne of grace daily to God. Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us daily. Guys, we're not perfect. This is the hospital. We should all have signs around our neck that says we're under construction. We're all in different places in our walk spiritually in Christianity. Some are more advanced. Some have never advanced. Ever. They're the same six years later. We have to prove it by the way we live and repent and turn to God, and he will transform us. Don't just say to each other, he says, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you this, God can create children out of Abraham from these very stones. So maybe you're here like, man, I'm a Christian. I'm born in America. My mom and dad are Christians. My dad is on leadership. I'm a Christian. I've been to all the Bible studies. I've been to the youth group my whole life. I give thousands of dollars to the church. That doesn't mean nothing. That doesn't mean nothing. It's a relationship. And if we prove the way we live for Christ, if we have a relationship with God and we're doing what's right, then we are Christians. You know what Christians mean? It used to be called the way. Did you know that? And then it was like a derogatory name. They ended up coming up with, oh, look at these Christians. Look, they act like Christ. Look at these scumbags. That's what Christian means. Are you a Christian? Do you act like Christ? I'm convicted. We got to prove it by the way we live. It only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Something ticks me off, I get pissed. Ah, anger. I'm going to kill someone again. Right? That old man comes alive. You know? My God, forgive me. I'm going to be a good boy. God didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. And some old evangelists quoted that. That's true. So it says this. We're going to close here. We've got a couple more. He says this. Even, oh, wait, where's the trees? Where's the fruit? Oh, here, they're coming up. Here we go. It's this next one. Verse 10. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to serve the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist is getting real. He's just shooting straight now. Guns are blazing. He's basically like any tree, any person that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be chopped down and thrown in the fire. It's about hell. Okay? So now... What is the fruits? The trees, the fruits of repentance. But let's flip over to what Jesus says about this, because we got to, he's, he's, the, he's the God, he's the man. It says this, flipping over to Matthew chapter 7, it says this, starting verse 13, Jesus, I don't even need to translate this, this is what Jesus says, his words, in red. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Okay, so the gateway is narrow, Correct. The highway to hell is broad and its gates is wide for many choose that way. So many choose to go to hell and the gateway is wide. So it's, ba it's like basically getting on the freeway. You just get on the freeway and there's five lanes and put cruise control and you will get there guaranteed. Right? But then Jesus goes on to say this. But the gateway to life, eternal life, is very narrow. 
and the road is difficult and only few ever find it. So it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because we have to turn to God. We have to repent. We have to deny self, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. In order to deny ourselves and put down the body appetites and get our body appetites and hang them to the cross and crucify them so that we can live, it's brutal. Killing the flesh is the gnarliest thing in the Christian walk. Self-control. But what comes with self-control and peace and joy and all that? That's all fruits of the Holy Spirit. All the other stuff is the work of the flesh, Galatians 5.8 and on. So it's very narrow and few ever find it because they won't deny themselves. They won't pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Then Jesus says this, Beware of every false prophet who comes disguised harmless as sheep but are really vicious wolves, them selling holy water on TV. You can identify them by their fruits. That is by the way they act. You can, can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruits, so you can identify people by their action. And then Jesus gets even gnarlier. He says this in verse 21. Not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about here? Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. What did Jesus say? If you love me, obey my commandments. On judgment day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Or the King James, you workers of iniquity. Oops. So, what's he saying here? These guys were like, these guys repented at some time. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were doing stuff. Like, you can't do anything. You can't perform miracles. You can't cast out demons. You can't do that unless you have God's Spirit in you. So these believers, at some time, something happened... Where they, the sin came back, the fishermen, Satan, cast some more lures, tripped them up, hooked them, and they got entangled again in sin, in the strongholds, in the foothills, and they never broke three. And they continued sinning, and they're workers of iniquity. And he says, get out of here. I never knew you. That's hardcore. Like, this is like, this is like some hardcore stuff here that, 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 they're talk, that Jesus is talking about here. So he's talking, those are the trees. So then he says this. Then he goes on to say this, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon, is, soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. With the, I'm sorry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you remember Paul in Acts says, John baptized you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat and the wind fork, and then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into the barn, burning the chaff up with a never-ending fire. So back in those days, they would get the wheat, they'd break it up, and then the chaff would fall on the ground, they'd get a wind fork and blow it all into a pile, and they light it on fire. Why? Because it's useless. 
And in the same way, the work of the Holy Spirit and the water baptism, water baptism basically means you get to a point when you're like, I'm going to repent, I'm changing my life, I'm all in God, no more posers. And I have a chapter called No, Poser, or po- no Posers at, on my, at the end of my book. And it's basically you decide, I'm not going to be a poser anymore, I'm going to walk with God. Poser means you're like a hypocrite, you're, you're not a hypocrite, like you're posing to be something. You're a fake, basically. So you decide, I'm, I'm going to be in, saved by grace. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going in under construction. Lord, baptize me. And what happens is you confess, you go under the water, and the water represents the grave. You leave that old Ryan Reese down there in the grave, and you come up out of the water with the water coming off you. You get submerged, the, baptiz- the baptisma, the baptiz- baptized, submerged with the water, coming out with the living water, the Holy Spirit-led life. Then... When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That dynamite power. What's in the middle of that dynamite? Fire. The dynamite power will come. He will fill you. He will baptize you. And the work of the Holy Ghost will purge and destroy everything that is unholy. It will burn out the stuff in your life that is driving you crazy. The sin you cannot shake. It has to be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But the only way you can allow the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to happen is through confession. Confession opens up the phone line, opens up the hi-fi, the Wi-Fi, the power from heaven, the Holy Spirit, the living water to come down and to flow in and through you. Jesus says in John 7... 38, it says, anyone that believes in me may come to me. Anyone, anyone that, um, now I can't think of the verse. Uh, anyone that, what does John, John 7 say? Jesus says, in short, he says, anyone that believes in me can come to me. Anyone, I can't even, I'm going to have to read it now. Hold on. Hold on. John 7. Hold up. Man, my memory, I'm getting old. John 7, 37. Here we go. On the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone that thirsts for a relationship with him can come to him. Then he says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Anyone that believes he died on the cross, raised from the dead, and lives can have a relationship. Then he says, for the scriptures declare torrents of living water will flow forth from his heart. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. So as you confess, you repent, He fills you with the Holy Spirit. And when you look up that word torrents in the dictionary, it means a violent stream, unceasing stream of anything. So when you see a tsunami come in, as we saw in Thailand, the tsunami came in, it destroyed everything in its path. Animals, cars, hotels, people killed everything. And in the same way, Jesus is like, I will give you the torrents of the living water. If you want it, I will get it. Believe and receive. And what will happen is the torrents will come from heaven and it will flow through repentance and it will start transforming you. And the fire of God will start burning out that stuff. In Psalms, I believe it says, God is a consuming fire. And let him consume us, burn out everything. And it's a refining process as he does with gold. When you get raw gold that has black pieces in it, you put it in the fire, it burns out the black pieces and it refines it into this perfect gold. And we're in a constant process of refining our whole life. So there you have, you have the water baptism and you have the Holy Ghost baptism. And then it says this in verse 13, then Jesus went to Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? This is his cousin. He saw Jesus growing up. It's like something special about this guy, you know. Like John was like special, but Jesus was on a whole nother level. So he's like, you need to baptize me. But then Jesus said this. It should be done for we must carry out 
all of God's requirements. Here's Jesus in submission to the Father. The true way to worship God, it's the posture of our heart. The true way is to worship and to bow our will. Jesus, under the submission of the Father, bows his will and says, this is what God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as John came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove, settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Here you go. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one, all right here in that picture, working together, just like in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, the Elohim, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have that manifested at the beginning of the Bible, and then right at the beginning of the, of the New Testament, you have the Father, Son, the Trinity, are one. And, John, and Jesus, our example, what happens? It says that he got filled with the Holy Spirit. It says he got baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Mark, it says he got driven by the Holy Spirit. It said in Luke, it says he got led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness, to the desert, where he fasted ferociously and prayed hard for 40 days. And Lucifer, sunning the morning star, Satan, the fallen angel, showed up and appeared to him. And he started manipulating scripture because he knew scripture and he fired it off on, on Jesus. But Jesus knew what the scripture said and he fired it back at him. And Satan said, you don't have to basically go to the cross. He said, you want the world? I own the world. I'm the prince of the world. I took the deed from Adam. I own it. It's mine to give. You bow down. You worship me and I will give you the easy way out. You don't have to go die for the sins of the world. You want the world? You want these people? I have the keys. I will give it to you. And basically what happened is for us, and I want to end it with this. There's this song that my grandma used to sing, a missionary. And she used to sing the song. She said, come and join the army. Get your gospel gun. Shoot it at the devil if you want to see him run. Now, <laughs> what we just saw Jesus doing is he shot the gospel gun at Satan and he ran. Now, we are all magazines, if you will. You guys into guns? Magazines. We have ammo box. Here's your ammo box. It depends what version you read. It's roughly 32 to 34,000 verses. Each verse is a round. It's a bullet. So now us as a magazine, what we need to do is we read the word of God. Genesis, the revelations. We're loading our magazine. We're loading our magazine. Now the power, the gun power is the Holy Spirit, the dynamite power. The scripture says that we can, the Holy Spirit will pull. Don't worry what to say because the Holy Spirit will give those words at that time. What happens is if the devil comes or anything happens, how are we going to be firing off rounds? The bullets if we got no rounds in us. The Holy Spirit has nothing to pull. So the more that you read the word, the more these rounds, the more you fill your magazine and the more the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, the power, you're able to fire the gun off and shoot the devil off because he's going to shoot those fiery darts. He's going to come with the li-fi and you have to be able to get truth and bounce off the lies from the truth to know what's real. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. You don't want no 22. You want a 50 fit cow. Boom, 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 boom. When the devil comes, that's what you need. So I'm going to end it here. If you want more of all that, it's in the book. There's 12 chapters of all kinds of stuff. That's just a couple nugs right there. I wrote that because these are the basic fundamentals of Christianity and the stuff that people don't talk about. But this is crucial to the Christian walk. And it's all simple. Jesus wrote it out very simple. 
So all I want to do is I want to show life application, real world stuff, all original stuff with what God's done in my life. But I'm going to end it here. Is there anyone here that needs Jesus that just walked away? You know, it's just more of a call of like, if you, if you need Jesus for the first time in your life, maybe, maybe you just got it, went on that detour route I like to talk about. You know, we, Jesus says he's a lamp to our feet, right? He has like, he has like our, our directions in life. He's like, Ryan, these are my plans. It's going to be a journey, but he's like, this is the plan. If you just stay on this roadmap, you're going to do everything I got for you. But what happens is we get on these detour routes because we get caught up in the noise, the distractions, shiny object, you know, like, oh, oh, shiny object, pretty bird, right? And we start following him. And then next you know, we're on a detour route. It's like when I'm going home and all of a sudden I have to hit a detour route, I'm the next exit. Now I got to go like 15 minutes out of the way. That's where a lot of us are in our Christian walk. You're like, you're like out there. You're not even on the right path. And you need to like, you need to repent. This message is a message to repent for the church. And repent is a good thing. It's like, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And I want to do better. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to help you. And that's through the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a clarpedus. He comes alongside. Imagine a person of the Holy Spirit. When you ask him in your life, he, he's inside of you. So when you're walking around, you're like, God never speaks to me. Well, the Holy Spirit's in you. He nudges you. So if you're going to go watch pornography, which is a big thing in the church, the Holy Spirit's like, no, he gives you those stop signs. And so it's nudging. That's the Holy Spirit because he's inside of you, right? Or, man, God, I'm really trying to stop cheating on my wife, but you got your keys and you're going to the car and you're having this emotional relationship. That's cheating. That's an emotional relationship. And you're just flirting with this girl at work or whatever, and you know dang well you shouldn't be doing it. That's the Holy Ghost. He's inside of you, and he's giving you those stop signs, and he's nudging you, and he's calling you home, and he wants to forgive you. He wants to love you. Some of you guys are broken. You've been dealing with surgeries, and you're, 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 you're stuck to medication, or maybe you've been the, the pandemic. I'm going to say this. Look. Five months ago, I went through the hardest season of my life. I, I, in my book, I talk about going through pretty gnarly seasons as being a Christian, divisions, and people trying to break my marriage up and all kinds of stuff. This five months ago, I went through the hardest season in my life where the enemy came to sift me. Remember when, when Jesus says to Peter, Satan's come to sift you. The enemy came to sift me in this season. It was like the perfect storm. All these scenarios that were happening were Satan was lying to my mind so much. The book was about to drop in a month. Everything was ready to go. And he, I was almost like, I was like lied to. I was like burned out. All these things. I was literally ready. I went and quit the whosoever's. I quit ministry. I literally told my wife I was going to leave her. I was going to divorce her. And I was done. I was in a place in my life where all these things hit at one time. The enemy just brought these like, these, these, these waves. Of, I'd be in bed and I'd be flooded with fear. I've never felt fear before in my life. I was always not a fear guy, but I felt fear, floods of fear in bed where I could not sleep. It was like I was like having panic attacks. It was the craziest thing that Satan came after me with. During this season, I was getting hit by every, every direction. And literally, during this time, I had that stinking Bible app. And it would fire these verses off at me. And I never, like, hear beep, you know, my phone. I, 
Dude, I would like get pings and I'd pick it up and I would see this verse and I literally was like holding on to that verse like it was like life or death. You know why? Because it was life or death. I would get up in the morning, my phone would be off and I would listen to K-Wave, the Bible studies, and I would listen to some studies before I start my day. And I, was, I wasn't going to leave Jesus. I was never planning to leave Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm like, where would I go, Jesus? But say. Jesus or Satan wanted to shut me down from having this impact on people and shutting down the book and shutting down from reaching the world and all these things. So he came in like a whirlwind. And I want to end it. I do want to read this verse before I, before I pray for you guys because I forgot to read it. And this verse became more potent to me in my, my life ever right now. And it's, it's in Matthew. It's in Matthew 7, verse 24. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds their house on a solid rock. You know, Jesus is the rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds their house on the sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I didn't crash. And I don't even know if I told you guys last Saturday. My dad's Pastor Raul Reese from Calvary Chapel. Okay? So I have a legacy of pastors and people around me. That doesn't mean nothing. All right? Because Satan's going to come for you individually. He wants to destroy you. He doesn't care who your dad is or anything. Well, he actually does care about our dad in heaven. He does care about that dad, our heavenly father. And he's scared to death of him. But God wants to meet you. Those ones that need to come back to him, maybe I spoke to you what I went through in my life, that dark season. I was going to walk away. But by God's grace, because I went to the word of God and I stayed pressed in, I kept talking to God, even though I could not feel anything. I was in that desert experience. And when you're in the desert, there's no water, there's no food, it's hot, it's dry. And maybe some of you are in that desert experience right now. But God can break the rock open and send the living water now and fill you with the torrents. Everyone that's here that wants prayer, if you need God, you want to come back to God, you need the living water, you're dry, you need prayer for anything. This is for the church. I want you to step by faith. Come forward, whoever it is. And maybe you're like, I just need a touch of God. Come here and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit's going to fill you with the living water. This is for Christians, non-Christians, everybody that needs a touch from God. Just stand right here and we're going to pray for you. Stand right here. Just stand right here. Just come up. There's more. Who cares about what people think? We need a touch from God tonight. This message is for the church. It's that be filled with the Holy Spirit. Repent. Be filled. Strongholds. We're going to pray for strongholds to be broken. We're going to pray for people to get healed tonight. God heals people physically and spiritually. We're going to ask that God is going to touch people's lives. Pain's going to go on backs, knees, whatever. This is what the, this is, and we don't have to do anything. God's going to pour out his spirit and do what he wants to do. Yeah. Old, young, come now. I know some of you are like, my heart's beating. God's calling you. Come forward. This isn't, this isn't just a message of like, I need, I need to give my life back to Jesus. This is like, I need a touch of God. I want to be filled. I need a revival in my life. That's what this is.
And I don't know if you do this stuff in this church. Like you come forward because, you know, there's a lot of people and stuff. But hey, this is awesome. God will meet you here. I call people forward because it's a step of faith. It's a simple step of faith. A lot of people stay in that boat their whole life. Like the disciples when Jesus said, Peter's like, is that a ghost? And Jesus is like, no, man, it's me. He's like, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come walking on water. He wanted to activate his faith. Meanwhile, the other guys were scared. They never got out of the boat. But Peter, because he took courage and he stepped out of the boat, he started living the impossible and walking on the water. And some of you guys here tonight, you need to live the impossible. And you've been stuck in that boat too long and you need a touch. And I want to pray for you. I know there's more. Come up here now. And we're going to pray. We're going to sing this song, and I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to move on you and come forward. Let's, let's sing a song. Just as the Spirit leads, come up. This is called Afterglow. But I don't even call it Afterglow. I just say it's always glowing. Jesus, Jesus, you make darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus.
darkness trembled. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Right on, man, I see you coming up. Is there any more before we pray? Is there any more before we pray? I've seen a couple more come up. God tugging on your heart. He wants to break through strongholds. He wants to bring clarity to your mind. He wants to bring peace and rain and bring hope to you. You got anything, Christina? Come up here and share before I pray. Let my sister come up and share something. Hi guys. So in the Bible, there are many gifts that God gives us. And one of them is the gift of, you know, you have gifts of words of knowledge and words of wisdom and, you know, visions and prophecy. And um, it says in the last days that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And it says that the daughters will see dreams and, and prophesy and all of those things. And so today we were up in Fillmore beautiful boonie country up there and um, as I was at the skate park for our skate event the Lord gave me an image for all of you today that I believe is so um, appropriate for what we've been seeing all week and basically in this image I saw a field of hearts of human hearts and I saw all of these knives going through all of these hearts and it represented how people have felt that their hearts have been wounded over and over and over again whether it's with family stuff whether it's abuse whether it's just life whether it's stuff that happened last year and all of these hearts that were completely wrecked were in this field and I saw people going and trying to bind up those broken hearts with alcohol with drugs with money with clothes, with jobs, and sometimes we can bind up those broken hearts with what we think are the right things. We're like, oh, well, we're not watching porn, we're not having sex, we're not doing drugs, we're doing healthy things to bind up our broken hearts, but if the, peop- if the, per- if the thing that is not binding up your broken heart is Jesus, then we're running to the wrong things, correct? And so I saw all of these people trying to bind up their broken hearts, but all of these hearts just had these flimsy band-aids on it, and their hearts were pussy and broken. And I finally saw the Lord go up to each and every one of those hearts and he began to heal each and every one of those hearts because it says that he came to bind up the brokenhearted. It said that he came to proclaim liberty to the captives and the one that created your heart is the only one that can heal your heart. The one that formed your heart in your mother's womb is the only one that can mend those that brokenness and heal those wounds and bind and, and restore that pain. And this call to everyone in this room is how many of you are wanting to be done how many of you have broken hearts today and God's looking at you and he's like are you done trying to mend that pain with alcohol are you done trying to mend that pain with shopping with money with drugs with a career he's like how is that working out for you because your heart will be more broken than before And some of you have been living with a broken heart for a long time, and it's time for you to give that broken heart back to the Father and allow his love to pour in. And Because there is nothing too broken that he can't fix. There is no wound too deep that his love can heal. 
So I want to ask those of you today, some of you came in this place today and there is shame because you're like, man, like I just want to be done. How many of you, I'm going to call you forward, are willing to say, man, my heart is broken and I'm done trying to mend it even with the things that people could say are healthy. How many of you are willing to say, I'm willing to surrender those things and say, God, I give you back my heart because I want you to heal it. If that's you today, I want you to come forward because I know there's a few of you. That's right. I want you guys to come forward. This is going to be a punk rock moment where you are giving Jesus every area of your heart. I know there's a, there's more of you in this place. We want you guys to come forward. That's right. There's more of you in this place. How many of you guys are willing to say, I'm going to give God my broken heart? There's a few more. I know there's a few more. Amen, what she said. I know there's at least a couple more of you. And this is just for one person in this room, and I want to talk to you afterwards. There's someone in this place who is ashamed because they've had an abortion. That you've had an abortion and you took life in your own hands and you've been living with that shame for a long time. And the Lord just wants to speak to your heart today and let you know that he has forgiven you. That you've given your heart to Jesus, but you're left with that shame. And he wants you to know that he forgave you and he loves you. And he, he wants to heal that place and to get plugged in to this church. Because there's an amazing Bible study for, for you in this place. That is for some woman in this room. That's all I got, Ryan. Awesome. So, Lord, I pray. Let's all confess our sins because we're all sinners. We need it. And say it and mean it and say, Jesus, forgive us. Fill us. We dedicate our lives to you. Restore us and make us new. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you're working right now, that your presence will increase in this room. We ask for an increase, Lord, that you will literally pour out your spirit and that people would encounter the love and the joy flow from their head to their feet. All that emptiness, God, fill them up in Jesus' name. Lord, release the torrents of the living water. Let it just flow right now. Let it flow through this place. Lord, I pray for all depression to leave right now in Jesus' name. Anything that is demonic through these strongholds or these footholds or Ephesians 6 that has allowed this fogginess that has been upon people or that has crept in with the pornography and the addiction and all these things is all from the supernatural realm. We just rebuke it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you set them free because whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And Lord, I pray that you send your warrior angels down to surround them. But more importantly, Jesus, you are with them. Holy Spirit, you are in them. Seal them with the blood that was shed on the cross. They are your children. We got daughters of the King. And that one that went through abortions, I went through three abortions, but we're forgiven with the blood that was shed on the cross, we're washed white as snow. And God, he's forgiven you, so just walk in that. He loves you, and no one's too far gone. 
no one's too far gone. God, I pray for healing hearts, hearts that are broken from life, business, bad relationships, betrayal. Lord, help with that unforgiveness and that bitterness, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just touch those people's hearts as I wrestled with unforgiveness and bitterness. God, you have to just do a supernatural work and just touch them now. Lord, in Jesus' name, give them wisdom, give them strength. Lord, increase faith in this room because without faith, we can do nothing. Lord, increase the gift of faith. Lord, those ones that have been dealing with that, the suicidal thoughts, Lord, from whatever, the enemy is a liar. Lord, please touch their lives, God. Heal them of that. Remove that now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for that healing power of the gift of healing, Lord, that it will manifest in here as you, Jesus. I pray for backs, necks, muscles, spines, legs, cancer, AIDS, whatever it is, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will touch people's lives as you will, but you will touch people's lives, God, because all through the Gospels, I'm holding you to your word, Jesus. All through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, it's like healing, 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 healing. Why? Because you do. And you will do today, Lord, as you will, as you see fit for who you choose to touch. But Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray anything that's demonic, because we know there's demonic stuff going on, that caused people to be blind and not see and hunched over in the Bible. So if there's anything demonic attached to anybody that is causing these pains and stuff in their body, go now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you touch and you heal people of whatever's going on in their body from their head to their feet. Supernatural touch from your Holy Spirit and through you, Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I ask for more of your peace, more of your spirit, God. Just keep filling people, Lord. Release the gifts of the spirit to those ones, Lord, that have been praying for tongues, the ones that have been praying for prophecy, words of knowledge, healing hands, all the different gifts, God, the gifts of mercy, teaching, preaching, the evangelist, Lord administration, the gift of administration. These are all the pieces of the body that we need in the church operating. We need them operating so things can happen outside the doors, and we need the people outside the doors to make things happen inside the doors. So God, I pray that you raise up with the youth here, the youth that are here now represented. Lord, put calls on their life. Lord, let them know that you have a plan, and it's radical. It's radical. All that stuff in the world is a bunch of lies. It's fake. It's the kids the cotton candy, Lord. It ain't real. It dissolves quickly. Lord, I pray that you continue to work in this place. And we thank you for what you did and what you're going to continue to do in people's lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we all together say, Amen. I love you guys. I'll be over there.